All right. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the MDS podcast. I'm Sarah Schaefer from the Yale School of Medicine. This December issue is a little bit delayed due to the holidays, but we are very pleased to welcome Dr. Sarah Gregory of the University College London, who will be discussing her recent paper in Movement Disorders Clinical Practice, Characterizing White Matter Changes in Huntington's Disease. In this article, Dr. Gregory really gets into the nitty-gritty of complex imaging and molecular analyses in patients with HD in an attempt to not only understand more nuanced biomarkers for pre-manifest and manifest HD, but also to understand the pathophysiology of neurodegeneration in this disease. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Gregory. Thank you. Let's start with a little bit of background. In your article, you differentiate between macrostructural and microstructural brain changes as seen on imaging. Can you review for our audience what the difference is between macro and microstructural brain changes and what is known about each of those in Huntington's? I mean, basically, we can measure both macrostructural and microstructural changes when we do MRI. And what we're talking about really when we talk about macrostructural is kind of whole brain changes in terms of volume, shape, surface area. So they're kind of morphological changes that we can, that can give us an idea of where we might see changes that are related to a specific type of pathology. And in terms of Huntington's research, really it's the macrostructural changes that have led the way and that have really helped us to understand what's going on with the disease. So for example, we know very much that Macrostructural changes occur very early on in Huntington's disease in the striatum, so that's the chordate and the patamen. We see whole brain, and these are kind of gross changes in white matter early on as well, and then this, these changes basically then extrapolate into the cortex, into the grey matter as the disease progresses. The reason that we then move on to what we call microstructural is to basically get a little bit more information about what's going on. So the macros, as I say, the macrostructure is very useful. It helps us understand where changes are occurring. But the microstructure can tell us a little bit more about the biological underpinnings. So when I talk about microstructure in the context of this paper, I'm really talking about changes in white matter. Um, now, we can look at white matter in a volumetric sense, but what we do with the microstructure is we actually look at changes in connectivity in, in much more specific detail. So we're looking at the specific connections between regions of the cortex in the white matter. And we do that by looking at so using a technique called diffusion weighted imaging. And what we do is we, we measure the movement of water within white matter tracts within the brain. Um, and then from there, we can get a little bit of an understanding in terms of how easily messages are being sent from one gray matter region to another along the white matter tracts. So that's what we're trying to use here. We're trying to understand a little bit more about what's going on in these, to explain these big, big global changes that we see. And in terms of HD, white matter changes have been investigate, investigated quite a lot, quite thoroughly. Um, and what we see is that there's basically an increase in disorganization of the white matter as the disease progresses. It can start quite early on in the pre-manifest stages and it gets worse as the disease progresses. The only kind of restriction with diffusion imaging, or certainly the standard diffusion imaging that's been used, is that it's sort of a, a proxy measure, as it were, in the sense that it, we can't make too many assumptions about the actual biological causes of the white matter changes. 
So we can say, for example, that there seems to be some kind of disorganisation or a restriction in connectivity, but we t tying down what's going on at, say, the axonal level or the myelin level is actually a bit more tricky with diffusion. So what we've tried to do here is, is kind of interrogate that in a bit more detail using a number of different measures. Excellent. So why don't you tell us about some of the measures that you use and how you, your team conducted the study? Sure. So this study is something called HDCSF. Um, the study was predominantly set up um, by my colleagues, Ed Wild um, and Lauren Byrne and some other colleagues um, in the team. And really, the, the idea of this study was predominantly to actually look at biofluid markers. So that's NFL, that's neurofilament-like in the brain in HD um, gene carriers. So what we wanted to do or what I wanted to do in this particular project is, is take that information in conjunction with the imaging that, data that we collected and to investigate the whole thing together. Now, in terms of the actual cohort, um, it was a cohort of 80 people, 20 controls, 20 gene carriers, pre-HD gene carriers, so people with the HD gene but who hadn't actually been given a, a clinical diagnosis of HD and then 40 what we call manifest HD gene carriers. So these are people who've had the clinical diagnosis, and the clinical diagnosis is based on, based on the motor performance. They were basically, everybody was recruited on the basis of what's called a disease burden score, um, and that's really how we calculate how, how far their disease has progressed. That's a clinical measure. And as part of the study, everybody basically gave what we call a CSF sample, NFL was collected from that sample. It was also collected in plasma levels, so from blood. So there were two measures of CSF. We also collected, sorry, two measures of NFL. We also collected what's called mutant Huntington, which is the actual pathological marker of the disease. So Huntington is called, Huntington's disease is caused by a mutant gene called mutant Huntington. In addition to this, the, uh, all the participants underwent an MRI scanning session whereby we collected a few different types of data. So we collected data so we can look macrostructurally. We collected data so we can look microstructurally. That's the diffusion-based data that I was talking about. And we analysed that data in two different ways, in fact, the diffusion data. We analysed that using a standard technique that I was talking about earlier, and we also analysed it using a new technique, which allows us to look a little bit more at what's potentially going on at the axonal level. We also collected some other data which allows us to look at myelin and some data which allows us to look at iron levels as well. Because what we were interested in doing in this project was trying to get much more of a, a full characterization of what happens in the white matter. So not just connectivity, but also myelin, also iron and so on and so forth. Um, and what we actually did with our analysis here is, as I said, we collected data from 20 people with the HD gene but not diagnosis and 40 with diagnosis but we put those all together because what we found is that although these people do have a clinical diagnosis to put them in either of these groups sometimes from a research perspective it's good to look at them as a continuum because we find that some symptoms and some different uh, brain changes for example may vary from person to person um, regardless of their clinical diagnosis so we wanted to just look at everybody on a continuum based on their disease burden score rather than a grouping. That makes a lot of sense to put the pre-manifest and manifest HD on a continuum since we 
clearly know that some brain changes must be taking place prior to actual, you know, motor disease onset. That's that, yeah. So this new uh, method of diffusion analysis, the naughty method, did you use that to look at all white matter tracts in the brain or did you focus on specific brain regions? No, what we did for this is we did, um, and for actually for all the techniques that we use, so the volumetric macrostructure or the diffusion, the myelin, we looked at, we took a whole brain approach because the reason we did that was we had some, so for volumetric, we certainly have some ideas where we might expect to find changes. But because this was a group of, a mixed group of gene carriers, pre and manifest, we wanted to look across the whole brain. It was a bit more exploratory in nature in that sense. That certainly sounds like quite an undertaking. Yep. So based on our current understanding of HD pathophysiology, what would you have predicted in your results? And were those predictions congruent with what you found? Yeah, I mean, as I say, we, we started off... We always look at macrostructure as a sanity check, really, because, you know, the past 10, 15, however many years has really shown robust findings in terms of macrostructural changes. So we can be pretty sure that we, we know what to expect in terms of changes in the striatum and so on. So we ran our volumetric macrostructure. We found the changes that we expected um, in terms of reduced um, volume in white matter and so on. In terms of the diffusion, so as I said, we, we use this standard measure, which is the measure that's really been used in HD research. And what we found was that essentially there was an increase in diffusivity, which basically means that there was a, there's some sort of breakdown in connectivity in the white matter pathways that are connecting the gray matter regions. Now we found that this was largely across the whole brain, which is not unexpected. And this also coincided or this correlated with levels of disease progression. So not only did we see that there was higher diffusivity, so higher levels of disorganization in the HD group compared to controls, we also found that in the HD only group, so when we look just in the HD gene carriers, that these increases in diffusivity also correlated with changes in disease progression. So the, the worse the disease was, the more di diffusivity increases we saw. And that was largely expected. And in terms of looking at the other biomarkers in the CSF and the serum, and in terms of looking at evidence of demyelination and iron accumulation in the brain, was there anything surprising in those results? Yeah. I mean, what was interesting, first of all, is that we found that actually using the noddy technique, so this was something that was very important to us to look at because using the standard diffusion analyses, um, as I say, we wanted to get a bit more information. Using the noddy technique, we were able to see that there was some kind of change going on in the orientation of fibers. So we don't know exactly what that means biologically, but it suggests that something is going on at the axonal level. While we didn't see correlations with the neurofilament-like markers at a significant level, we certainly saw a pattern of behavior whereby the increases in diffusivity correlated with increases in neurofilament light. Now, neurofilament light is a measure um, of essentially a marker of axonal degeneration of sorts. So that, that suggested to us that this increase in diffusivity that we were seeing was potentially associated with the NFL, which means that this is associated with axonal degeneration. Now, we need to interrogate that further 
we didn't get these results at the significant level, but this is really, really quite interesting because this is the first time that we've brought those two things together, you know, a biofluid marker and an imaging marker in, in terms of HD. In terms of the myelin and the iron, we actually got quite surprising results. It's difficult to know. We don't know really, um, and I talk in the introduction about potential pathological processes, what might be going on in terms of iron presence, demyelination and so on. But it could be that we have increased iron because there's, there's basically toxicity there. It could be increased iron because an increase in the presence of oligodendrocytes might mean some kind of remyelination. We don't really know what's going on. And the literature so far doesn't really, you know, it's not clear from what people have done so far either, because it's difficult to get to that level of, of, of information. But what we actually found was a reduction in myelin um, using our one technique. We use one technique to look at myelin. We found a reduction in myelin in some of the striatal areas. But what was actually unexpected is we also saw a reduction in iron, um, where we would potentially have expected an increase in iron. So we're not 100% sure of what the process is there in terms of redu reduced myelin and reduced iron. So this is something that we, we would really like to interrogate at the next stage. Now, the methods that we used here were proxy measures of both myelin and iron. And um, as I discuss in, in, uh, in the actual article, there, there are some slightly more sophisticated methods now whereby we can look at these in a much more quantitative way. You know, we, we've seen this pattern in terms of axonal degeneration using the microstructure methods, the diffusion, the noddy, and so on. And we've also seen a reduction potentially in myelin levels. So I think what this gives us is a really good kind of jumping off point at which to interrogate these things further. And I think actually what will be very important here is looking at a larger group of pre-manifest and a larger group of potentially manifest and maybe delving a little bit more into comparing those two groups and also doing a continuous analysis. So you already discussed in terms of experimentally in research what you would do next in terms of using a larger population to better understand all of these processes. Do you have any sense for how some of these biomarkers could potentially in the future be used clinically in HD? Um, well, that's a tricky one. I mean, the NFL as a as a as a marker is is kind of striding forward. It's a very strong marker, and it seems to be, you know, it seems to be something that really does distinguish the groups and and from quite an early stage. So I think, I mean, that's really what I mean. A lot of what this project was about, or the cohort from this project, was really to look at differences in how we can look at CSF levels in plasma and how we can look at CSF levels in in CSF sorry, NFL levels in CSF and NFL levels in plasma, because obviously getting NFL levels from CSF is not the optimal way, given that you have to have a lumbar puncture. And if you're talking, you know, certainly from a trial perspective, having lots of lumbar punctures is not always the best way forward. It's how the trials work now. Um, so it would be much better if we could use plasma measures of NFL, which is, as I say, what this project was about. But so from a clinical perspective, I... I definitely think, you know, we're working towards that in terms of the biofluid marker. The thing with imaging is it's more to really, I think the, the, the best utility of imaging is understanding the mechanisms and they in turn then help on a clinical level. So where the macrostructural, you know, research that's been done has really shown solidly that there is a clear pattern of neuronal loss that starts very early on in the striatum 
moving to the white matter, then moving to the grey matter, has really helped inform the next stages of research. And now, you know, these, these measures are being used in clinical trials because they really are very robust. The microstructural measures and the other measures, as I say, they're a bit more exploratory at this stage because they're a lot more complex and they will be much more difficult to roll out you know, on a, on a kind of daily basis, as it were, because they require a lot more in terms of software and processing and, and, and analysis. But um, I, I certainly think there is a, a potential future there. You know, certainly at the moment, it's just based around understanding the mechanisms. But I think this all feeds in nicely with what's going on in the clinic. This is this is what's quite good about this project. We're trying to bring all these different um, elements together. Um, to understand a little bit more about what's going on in terms of pathology and certainly in terms of when we're talking about giving treatments and therapeutics, you know, understanding, for example, if we're talking about, you know, the ASO trials and things like this, where we actually pinpoint the drugs, you know, where, where in the brain we give these, we want to, these drugs to get to. Understanding the mechanisms is vital for that. Um, so that's really where I think the imaging really lends itself. To help. Well, I also think that some of the imaging and, and serum and CSF biomarkers could be useful. You know, I could I could see as sometime way down the road using them to determine at what point significant neurodegeneration is beginning in these patients so that we know when to initiate these types of treatments in pre-manifest patients. Yeah, that's right. And that's that's what there's there's ongoing studies that are there is, that are doing just that you know we want to understand the earliest time where we see changes you know and, and often it's it's the imaging that can help pinpoint in addition to the biofluid but it's really i think the really important thing here is this multimodal approach of understanding and you know we've we've still got a long way to go in terms of where we've got to in this paper it's you know there's a lot of really good stuff here but it's a it's it just shows the real importance of trying to understand what's going on across the board rather than just taking one element of brain change. And as you say, what we want to be able to do is understand at what point is the optimal point in young people where we can give treatments so that it will stop, either stop the beginning of this damage or just arrest it altogether so that it doesn't even begin. Well, it seems like your team has really brought us a couple steps closer into a greater understanding of really what's going on here. So uh, is there anything else you want to share with us before we sign off? No, I just, the one thing I would say more than anything about working in HD research is just a huge thank you to all the participants because actually they are an incredible group of people who are so motivated. And, you know, they, as you can tell when you read these, these papers that we're producing, they go through a lot in a day, you know, lumbar punctures, long scanning sessions, et cetera, et cetera. And, they're just great. They do it willingly. They bring their family members along who also do it willingly as control participants. So without them, you know, none of this would happen. And really they are, they're an incredible group of people and they're very inspirational because they just keep working. And more than anything, a lot of them keep working knowing that actually whatever happens, it might not, it might not even help them, but it might help future generations of people with HD. So really they're an incredible group of people. And we, we thank them, you know, from the bottom of our hearts for taking part in all these studies. Absolutely. It's always very important to go back to that. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. No problem.